The next thing we know, we're like negotiating and buying this little art gallery that was already had been running since 1976. In Calgary. So this was in 2004. And it wasn't a retail gallery. It was only um, sales to corporations, commercial sales. Hmm. So we bought it. And I didn't know anything about art. Like almost zero. Hmm. But I was like, if I can learn how to run a freaking unit train, like from the coal mine to the port and back again, I'm pretty sure I can learn about art and how to sell art because that's something I'm actually really interested in. Uh, welcome to the Calgary Sessions. This is episode number 109. I'm your host, Jeff Humphreys. Today's guest, I cannot wait to get into this one. We met uh, under the most, it's the coolest, the coolest circumstances. I don't know if we'll talk about it, but um, yeah, this will be a really fun. It's one very too. fortuitous how we met. I agree. And just to like, now understanding what you're up to and that experience we had a couple weeks ago, that this is going to be a really fun one. So please name and who you are. My name is Patty Dibsky, and I am the owner of Gibson Fine Art, which is a, a Calgary-based fine art gallery, and Interior Living, which is an interior design store in Calgary, and Amazing. also sell furniture. So, what day was that when I was when I was at your place? Uh, la, two weeks. Two ago? weeks ago, the twelfth, January twelfth. January twelfth. So mm -hmm. January twelfth, I Patty invites me and Jody to this event, and it's Barney Bentall live in the gallery. Right, the and intimate I, experience. Yeah, and I was. You don't know any of this, but like <laughs> I knew of Barney Bentall mm -hmm. just because he's such an icon in, in Canadian music. Right. So I was like, yeah, it sounds awesome. And I, was, and I wanted to go check out your space. So it was like this dual headed thing. So anyways, got there and it was like you and I were texting after, but that was one of the most, you used the word mesmerizing. Mm -hmm. And I agree. It was one of the most, it was just this wild experience that I was like not prepared for. I know, and I was actually not prepared for how intimate it was. Mm. So I just found it like I was sitting there and, and I was looking up um, at my the top of my wall for some reason. Mm -hmm. And I just felt this like it was touching my soul in a way that's like it sounds really hokey and it's hard mm. to describe. But I felt this incredibly soulful, artful moment as he moved from the piano to the guitar and told his stories and mm -hmm. back again. It was like I like yeah it's and not it an was exaggeration like, like it's the, the energy in the room was mm. so crazy strong and positive I've mm. never felt anything like that before mm. and I'm so happy to be part of that like it I explained I forget who I told but I was like sitting when I was sitting there listening to him I was like really tense for like almost every 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 strum of his guitar strings and every like change in the in the song with his voice i was mm. like on edge i was just like wound up tight and then he would start singing singing the next verse and then i, I would loosen up <laughs> and then i knew he was gonna do something different i like got super tense like, i could just feel my whole body which was i've never felt that i before. know and i've never been at a concert where i'm like oh my god please don't stop like mm -hmm. just just keep going mm -hmm. like when he did the encore yeah. i was like can you just like go mm -hmm. for like three more hours it was like there was no sense of time for me yeah. during that period it was just i was the same as on the edge of my seat mm -hmm. and then when he read um from his proposed show that he's working on mm -hmm. and how he explained how he was nervous mm -hmm. Like, there was that. this vulnerability yeah. there that I wasn't expecting. He, like, when he was talking about that, how he was being nervous, he was kind of, like, laughing at himself. I yeah. loved watching his eyes and his, like, grin. Yeah. Because you knew he was just like, I can't believe I'm doing this. Yeah. I can't believe I'm yeah. saying this out loud. 
Like it was. Yeah, and that was the first time uh, that I've heard that he's read that out loud, mm-hmm. like to an audience. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know when we booked him that it was going to be like this dress rehearsal for his upcoming or the show that he thinks he might turn this into. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. So when he started talking about how he was going to try something on, I'm like, oh my God, like what if it's weird? Like what if everybody's like, what did we come to? Yeah. And then from the minute that he started to read, I was like, wow, like mm-hmm. we're sharing in something very special. Mm-hmm. He puts his glasses yeah, on. Yeah, like, yeah. It's just like all of it was like, so... Like so humble. That's mm-hmm. what I think I didn't realize either. Yeah. Yeah, he 67. was amazing. Yeah, he's turning 68. When, um, to have that experience in your own space, like what is that? Well, you know, I actually got like teary. Mm. So again, when I was watching Barney and then I was looking up at the ceiling and looking at all the art around him, and we had very carefully curated the art in that section. Mm-hmm. So it sort of reflected his music and who we thought he is or it was. So yeah, I, I did. It was very emotional for me. Mm-hmm. And, I, and it was also very emotional to, to think that this is being shared with all these people around. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a gallery event per se. It was an event where we wanted to bring people together. It was the coldest night of the year, and every single person who RSVP came. I was expecting like 20 people to not come because it was so cold, but every single person came. Which is like... Yeah. Yeah, that was a... That one, I had to sit with that for a couple of days. That one really yeah, got, that one got me. Yeah, me too. Me too. And then I read your Instagram post, mm-hmm. and I'm like, this is exactly how I felt. Mm-hmm. Like, you captured the essence mm-hmm. of how I felt. Yeah, it was... Uh, it was really cool. So for that to be my first ex- like patty experience, I was like, oh, <laughs> they're not all like that. Holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine if I could like bottle that up and well, just like keep like producing these types of events? Yeah. yeah, I know. And now I'm like, oh my god, this was so good. Like, mm-hmm. how am I ever gonna replicate this? Well, that, but I can't. No. I can't replicate it. No. So I'm gonna have to do something different. And one of my goals for 2024 was to really activate my space. Mm. So not just for art shows and for events around art, but to really use the background of the art for other opportunities and Mm -hmm. other events, but all sort of tied into art some way. And so Barney Bentel was the first one. Well, like- Like kick it off. (laughs) Just like start (laughs) start at the highest possible thing. I know, totally, totally. Which will be, obviously it'd be impossible to recreate, but I think the, I think when people start when you pitch people and they mm-hmm. start and they start explaining what they're what they want to do, you'll know right away if there's yeah, a story. Yeah, and there. now the bar is set so high that yeah. I'm gonna be have to be like it's gonna have to be so curated. Mm-hmm. Like I'm gonna have to think very carefully mm-hmm. about the next event that I do. Mm-hmm. It'll be different, but it'll be highly curated. Yeah, it's, that was spectacular. I was like, I, I told a few people about it, and they're just like, because because you say Barney Bentall, yeah, they, they think I know. like rocker, I know, like, you know, like I know, thing. totally, and yeah. that's what I thought yeah. too. I had no idea what I was walking into, but yeah. then when you start telling people, it's hard to explain what it was to people that I know, weren't there. I know, and how he just seamlessly moved from guitar to piano to yep. me was so beautiful too. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I know. Great chills just talking about it. Well done. Thank you. Um, so back to the show here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think you've seen a couple of these. I have. So I like the guests to kind of go back as far as, far as they want to go. Okay. You know, like how they grew up, where they grew up you know, how their parents or their siblings inspired them. And we go through school and we just kind of work our way to where you are today. So this, I'm pumped to hear it because 
you know, the, the, your creativity and art, art background is obviously speaks to me. So yeah, take it back as far as you want to go. So I was born in Vernon, BC, and my parents have been in the same house for 54 years, which Amazing. is, I'm turning 54. <laughs> so I grew up with an enormous amount of like stability, right? Like we didn't move around. We weren't mm. that family, like moving from house to house or city to city. I was like same friends from elementary to high school to university, like mm -hmm. a ton of stability in my like formative years. Yep. And I think that provided me this like base foundation that allowed me to launch as I did. But growing up in a small town, like honest to God, like when I graduated, I'm like, I gotta get out of here. Mm. Like I'm not staying here. Like I have mm. no interest in staying in Vernon and living in Vernon for the rest of my life. So I went to university and I did a degree in poli sci and graduated in four years, but I went to university with all my Vernon friends. So yeah. it was very safe and it was very comfortable. So I always had this like, I don't wanna say sheltered, but mm -hmm. um, it wasn't very risk risky or what, yeah. like I didn't know that I was a risk taker until I got out of that environment. Mm -hmm. So I went to university, I did a degree in poli sci. Did you always know like, um, growing up that university was your thing? Oh that yeah, poli -sci yeah. Was your thing? Like no, I didn't know poli-sci was my thing, but I knew that I wanted to go to, there was really no, my parents were both teachers. So mm -hmm. I grew up with like education is very important. University yeah. is very important. I, there was really no other option that I considered. It's not that I couldn't have considered. My parents would have supported that. Like mm -hmm. I would say my parents provided like, again, this unconditional love, right? It was an enormous amount of stability. Mm -hmm. But I, I mean, when you're in a small town and there's no, there's no internet, like I'm like, like through university catalogs, like, I don't know, mm -hmm. I, I like barely know outside of my province, right? I know Calgary and Edmonton, but yeah. you know, I, this is like in the eighties, I didn't mm -hmm. really know the big, like wider world. And so I actually did a year at Okanagan college and I had a, a prof that taught poli sci and I just took poli sci, like I didn't know what poli sci was, no idea, but I like social studies. Mm. So I took my first class in political science and I was like, oh, I like this. Like I like Canadian government. I like learning about um, how the, these institutions work and fit together and um, how as a society we have to have these types of institutions. Yeah. So then I went to UVic and I finished off my political science. And then I was like, well, that's a really like straight arrow into law. So I knew I wanted to go to law school, but in the but between then I was like I gotta I gotta go a little bit bigger. So there was this opportunity to go study Japanese, of which I actually took an undergrad as well. So I took a couple of Japanese classes, so I knew a little bit. And then I'd gone to Japan um, in between second and third year. So when I graduated, I knew I was going back to Japan because mm -hmm. Japan was a major powerhouse at the time. Like it was this economic like crazy um, place that people were going and trying. It was like Nintendo and Sony and like all of these big companies and the Japanese were buying up everything at the time. Mm. So it's like 1992. Yep. The yen was super strong. So I had this opportunity to go to a private language school in Japan. I'm like, okay, like what else am I gonna do with political science degree? I was thinking my other option was I was gonna go to Whistler and be like a lifty on mm. the ski hill. Like that's was what I was also thinking about. Yeah. So I hopped on a plane and I flew over to um, Tokyo and took the train down and I got picked up by the owner of the private language school and I lived there for three years. Hmm. So I went to the private language school for a year and kind of taught part-time. And then the last two years I taught English full-time. Hmm. So I had this really cool program that I ran for three years. I didn't run it myself, but I was part of it. It was called Ski ESL. 
And so at the time, as new recruits came onto a large, like multinational Japanese company, they did have this program for new recruits. And so we had this program where we took them to Silver Star Mountain, which is in my hometown yeah. for two weeks. And they lived with a homestay and they had ski lessons. So they lived with a the homestay, they had ski lessons, and in the afternoon we taught them English. Amazing. So I did that for three years in a row. Hmm. And then we did it in Banff one summer as well. So from this like small town, not sheltered, but like your, little exper sheltered. your experiences yeah. are within this yeah. like... Yeah, like this we didn't really travel. Like I've been to Hawaii once, but you yeah. know, we weren't like... We certainly traveled. We had a motorhome and we traveled across Canada, mm. but I wasn't like flying to Europe mm -hmm. in the summer like... Mm. Some people. Like everybody else? <laughs> I get it. <laughs> it was like, oh, well, we weren't that family. <laughs> like I wasn't either. taking like cooking lessons in Italy during no, the summer or anything. No, no. So the, the idea of going to Japan, was it, um, did it just feel right to you? Like, it felt like the absolute right thing to do. Like a big, like it's a big. Um, it was a big thing. And I was just like, just went up like by myself, arrived mm -hmm. there. Like I had like one suitcase. I didn't have the right kind of clothes. Like I didn't know that when I was working, like as well as also teaching part-time, I had to have like office clothes. And I arrived there with like shorts and jeans. And I'm like, oh my God, like how am I gonna like go into this office and teach, right? I had to buy clothes. <laughs> Crazy. So I didn't know, like I just knew nothing. Hmm. And that's kind of like the story of my life. Like I, I do things without really knowing what's ahead. Yeah. But it's good because then I sort of go in blind and then I just have to feel my way through. Mm -hmm. Do you think though, there's something in you that's just kind of guiding you towards that spot that you just, you're I, trusting? Yeah, like I think um, like the Japanese thing is my mom worked at Okinawan College in international education. And so she had this opportunity to send some students over to Japan, like between my second and third year. And mm -hmm. it was kind of this fluky thing. And had I not done that, I don't think I would have thought about going to Japan after university. Mm -hmm. So I'd been there for six weeks yep. in this program to learn Japanese. And then as soon as I left there, I knew that as uh, when I graduated, I was going back. Mm -hmm. Like that was my goal as I got through university. Mm -hmm. Like I'm gonna be a lifty or I'm gonna go to Japan and work hmm. and learn Japanese. Was it the culture or was it the I just loved it there. Mm -hmm. I just absolutely loved it. It was the culture, it was the people. I know people say, um, things about Japan, but for me, it was the best experience ever. So I was this, so again, this is 1992 to 1995, and I lived in the country, and I lived, it was called a donchi, and it was a place where the employees of the company lived. So I was like right in with all the employees who I was teaching English. Hmm. So it was this blonde head in this like sea of dark heads, right? Mm -hmm. And so at the time still, like it was not that usual to have yeah. foreigners in that part of Japan. Mm -hmm. So it was right at the base of Mount Fuji. Amazing. It was super cool. So I could look out my window in the morning and see Mount Fuji. Like it's just, it's, it's such a stretch from <laughs> know, where, you, where you grow up. Totally. But mm. it was the right thing to do. And that, now I can say, like you don't know your cumulative experiences and how they affect you. And you don't know at the time how that's gonna affect me 20, 30 years yeah. down the road. But mm. for me, that was the launching pad to like gain independence, gain confidence, gain experience. Mm -hmm learn how to um, manage a situation where I'm uncomfortable and I don't know anything, mm -hmm. learn how to communicate without a language where I wasn't fluent. Mm -hmm. All those things. Yeah, learn how to reach out if I didn't understand. Mm -hmm. So, so many good skills I learned from those three years that yeah. so then I think I applied, like I didn't see the benefit of that for maybe 10, 15 years later, mm -hmm. but cumulatively mm -hmm. it was the best thing I could ever have done. Do you, 
when do you think you got to a point in your life where you could start looking back and everything and understanding that there's a reason that you that you had all these 40. Ex- yeah is that amazing? Yeah. I feel like yeah. I, I feel almost the exact same way today. Yeah, the same I think it's 40. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I, I caught a snippet of your discussion with Paul Lavoie. Oh, yeah. And I heard him say something like he'd gone to shy camp or mm-hmm. something like shy that. Shy school, yeah. Shy school. And so I wasn't shy necessarily, but I was quiet. Mm. And I feel like I can really understand that, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't think until I was 40 that I moved out of that being conscious or conscientious of the fact that I was quiet. Mm. Hmm. Did you, were sports a thing when you were a youngster? Yeah, yeah, I always did sports. And like uh, team sports, individual? I did team sports, but mostly I, I was a runner. Mm. So I was on cross country and track yep. and fields and I played mm-hmm. tennis. Yeah, so I did, I was never like the best athlete at team sports, mm-hmm. but I like the individual sports. Because then that kind of fits the quiet side too, right? Yeah. You don't have to be... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had a lot of friends. Like I wasn't um, introverted necessarily when I was with my friends, but I was just a quiet personality. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I'm still like that. I'm, I would still say I lean towards mm-hmm. introversion, but I'm a, I'm a nurtured extrovert. That's a great way to put yeah. it. <laughs> Do you... Um, being quiet, because I'm also quiet. So my... my when I get thrown into a room, like with a lot of people, that's yeah. not like, that's like kryptonite for me. I don't, I don't I know. do well in those positions. I know, likewise. Mm-hmm. And you know, still to this day, and I tell my kids this who are going to be 21 and 23, like I still don't enjoy walking into a room where I know no one yeah. at my age, yeah. like at 54. Yeah. And with experience mm-hmm. behind me, I, I don't enjoy that. Me neither. I just don't. Like I, I'm... So as soon as I walk into I a room and I'm looking for some eyes that I know, I know, so I can I know. Just be and like, it's like you think that ah, after fit. all these years and all the various networking events that yeah. that would be. It's like Barney Bentel saying he was nervous. Mm-hmm. I was like, how can you be nervous after like three thousand performances? Mm-hmm. But it's the same thing. Like I still get this little like, oh, like mm-hmm. don't want to go in there. Mm-hmm. Like who am I going to talk to? Mm-hmm. Like where's the bar? <laughs> Quickly, <laughs> always. It's like a beeline to the bar, yeah, get totally, a drink, look totally. around, and then you're like, fuck. Now I got to go find I know, somebody. I know. Totally. So, I mean, still, all these years later, I don't really enjoy that. Mm-hmm. But if I'm there, like once I get into it, and if I have a glass of wine, um, and I find someone I know or recognize, then I'm okay. Yep. But it's not something I look forward to. Mm-hmm. Like, does, do, does anyone look forward to cold networking? I think so. <laughs> I, th- I think there's like... Really? Like, yeah. I don't know. Like, I just... I guess so. There's, um, there's a couple of people in my world that, are, you know, when you start your own business, people are suggesting how to, you know... They're giving you ideas of right. how to meet people. Right, right. Whether it's going to like, I don't know, chamber events or just right. like these right. like put on networking. And and a couple of friends are like, you should go. They're amazing. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? Like that's, that's like my worst case scenario. Like, I do not perform well in those I situations. I know. I like the one-on-one. I like mm-hmm. the small group. Yep. Like I, you know, if I'm at a party, I will like, and I know people, then I, I mean, I'll have a good time, yep. but. Yeah, the networking, mm. I still, all these years later, I don't enjoy it. Do you, go back to the start of this conversation, like the the Barney Bentel night, that more comfortable though? 100%. Hosting the party. Yeah, because it's Ho- in like my bring, environment. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, like it's world. all like in my space. Yeah, 100%. Just like this. And like talking before he came on, mm. that is like no problem for me at all. Mm. And I don't mind talking in front of people. I just don't like the pure coldness yeah. of the networking event. Yeah. It's the same shitty questions. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm not good at the like surface. Le- I I can do it, mm-hmm. but I'm not good at. Mm-hmm. I don't enjoy the surface level like. Yeah, nonsense. Yeah, or this sort of like the competitive thing, like who mm-hmm. can be the funniest mm-hmm. in a group. Mm-hmm. Like it's just not my thing. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, the hosting the party yeah. thing, I, I feel, is this. Totally. That's my unlock, too. Because it's your, you're in your own space, it's right? It. And it's comfortable. Yep. And you want people to be relaxed. Mm -hmm. So therefore, I'm more effusive because I want people to be relaxed and yep. enjoy the time. Yeah, I agree. It's, um, yeah, you just, you kind of set the tone. Like, yeah. You know what you're walking 100%. into. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, that's what, like all this stuff, right? Yeah. This is like, yeah. this is comfortable because it's totally. close in the party. Yeah, and it's intimate. Yeah. Um, so after Japan. So after Japan. So I was all set to go to law school. So I like bought the LSAT book. Um, and then I, I called a friend of mine who was actually at UVic going to law school. And I said, hey, I'm, you know, I'm going to apply. I'm going to write my LSATs. And he's like, Patty, do you like, like the law? I'm like, mm, that's a good question. I never really thought about that. And he's like, because if you don't love the law, I'm going to suggest you don't go to law school because mm. you have to be very interested and passionate about it. And I was like, you know, I don't really even know anything about the law. Like, maybe I don't love the law. Mm. And then there was a girl um, who was also teaching English with me, and she was doing her MBA at um, McGill. And again, being from a small town, like, I didn't even know what an MBA was. So I'm like, what's an MBA? There's no Google. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's no Google. And there's, like, no catalogs of, yeah, like, yeah. information, right? Yeah. So she was telling me about this MBA program. I'm like, oh God, that sounds interesting. Like, I think I could really get into business. Like, I think that would be super fascinating for me. Mm. And I thought I could be an HR because I like people. I like to talk to people. Mm. I like, you know, solving those types of problems. So I applied to all these schools and I got into U of C was the first school that I got into. And I'm like, well, I think I'll go to Calgary because, you know, it's close to home and I can ski and mm. I've been away, but I didn't know anything about the program. So I got there the very first day of the MBA program, and they're like, well, welcome to your MBA in enterprise development. And I'm like, enterprise, like, I didn't even know what that means. Like, what is enterprise development? And so for a couple years, UFC did an MBA that was focused on enterprise development. So it was like for small business owners or people wanting to start a business. Wow. And I was like, oh, my God, like, I don't want to start a business. Like, I'm like from school teachers, like, we got like consistent salaries, mm -hmm. like, I don't want to be that person who has to worry about like, where's my next paycheck? I want a job. Mm -hmm. I want a corporate job with an expense account. So I was like the anti-enterprise development person through the entire MBA program because mm. I just wanted a corporate job, which I got after school. And I worked for CN Rail for seven years. And I got into this program where they took 20 people from across Canada, 20 MBAs. And they, um, for two years, you, you tried out different positions within the company. And the idea was then to kind of fast track you into like leadership roles. Hmm. So I did that for two years and I got a job in Calgary. And then I had um, two boys and I was like, I don't know if I like this world of like, I was in marketing of travel and like, it sounds silly to say, but it was fun at the time when you're, when you don't have kids, yep. but it was a lot of like, dinners out and yeah. golf games and blah, blah, blah. No, no, go, go back yeah. to the quiet thing. I know, right? <laughs> it makes I know. a lot of sense. Yeah, right? And so I was like, kind of, and it's a railroad, right? Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm going to really get excited yeah. about this. Like, am I going to really spend the rest of my life like working for the railway where your mm -hmm. customers are captive and they hate you? Did you, when you got the job though, did you feel like you had reached a, um, like you're happy you got this thing? Oh, like yeah. You'd reached this yeah. level. Yeah, like I was Whatever like, that, oh my God, I'm from my little like, town yeah, yeah. and like mm -hmm. I got this great job mm -hmm. and I'm traveling like all over like North America. Mm -hmm. And I became the account manager of um, coal for Canada, which is weir a weird thing to say now. Mm -hmm. um, and I was the only woman in my whole department mm -hmm. and I was like under 30, I was young. And mm -hmm. so I was like just feeling really good about life. Yeah, like, how, like um, to get into these programs, like there's 20 people. 
did you have to be one of the best students? Yeah, so you yeah, were a high performer? Yeah, 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 it's a high performer. Is, is that an understatement? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how you say that without making it sound like well, totally obnoxious. No, but you were like, obviously you had the marks, the skill set yeah, to get into this program Yeah, and I think a lot access. of it was, yeah, personality too. Mm. Like they were looking for a particular type of person that they could kind of mold and turn into, mm. ultimately into like a leadership position. Yep. Um, but yeah, you had to get, you had to give good marks. Hmm. So, um, when does it change? When does it change when you're like at this job? Yeah. You know, you're young, you get, you're, there's all these checks, yeah, all yeah, these things you yeah. think you want. Yeah. That's I mean, what, exactly what it was. It was like, I was just checking off the boxes. Yeah. And checking off boxes that were just, um, they were just, there's these imaginary boxes that you're, that you're I feeling know. pressure from outside you know what i can actually say that it was like internally generated pressure mm. so i put that pressure on myself like nobody actually ever i just certainly didn't have that pressure from my parents and i didn't have that pressure externally it was always like wanting to be more mm. like i just wanted more i wanted to be outside of how i grew up mm. and not that it was a bad way i just didn't want that yep so i put all the i like built all the boxes to be checked mm. And then I really went through and checked them all mm. as best I could, mm. right? And, but, you know, had I not, like, had it been a different industry, like, let's say I got hired into oil and gas or yep. something I was a little more interested and passionate about, maybe I would have stayed. Maybe yep. I wouldn't be sitting here right now. Mm. But because it was the railway and I was like, oh my God, like, mm. it's not that exciting, mm -hmm. especially because I was in coal, yep. which is like, now you don't even want to talk about. Yeah, it's right? dirty, dirty. <laughs> it's like a dirty word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like, imagine if I would have stayed in that. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, and I'd, I'd done really well there as a young female. Um, Which even that, how to say that, like yeah, it was such a different time, right? I know, I know. But that being said, it's, there's still, there's still that yeah. part, of, part of the world too right now. Yeah, 100%. But back then though, that must have been. Yeah, it was unusual for mm -hmm. sure. Very unusual. Like mm -hmm. some people were like, why did she get that job? It's like it's like being a ch in Japan. Yeah. This blonde, yeah, blonde yeah, head totally. around all yeah. these dark like heads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so then I decided that I wanted to do, I had to work. Like I knew I couldn't be a full-time stay-at-home mom. Mm -hmm. I just, I respect all women who ch make that choice, yep. but it wasn't the choice for me. Like I'm like, uh, my mind is like, <clears throat> like a racehorse, right? Like I'm like, I have to do something. I would have clean my baseboards with a toothbrush. Mm -hmm. Like I would have been that person. Mm -hmm. And I probably would have been crazy and drove my kids crazy and my whole family crazy, yeah. right? So I'm like, I gotta do something. Yeah. So I had met this woman at this mom and babies group and we were like, well, let's start a, let's buy a business together rather than start a business. Mm. And she was a lawyer. So we found this little art gallery online and we looked at like probably 20 businesses we did mm. do like from chocolate making to like garbage bin um, containers. Like we looked at so many different little mm. businesses for sale. Mm. And then we kind of stumbled on this little art gallery. How did that how did that conversation start? Cuz I you know obviously what? I have no idea. We what were like I think we like. were getting a pedicure. As weird as that sounds, mm. and she was like, "Yeah, I don't know if I want to go back to my um corporate job as a lawyer." And I'm like, "Yeah, I don't think I want it cuz we were both on mat leave." Mm. Back to my job in the railway. And so it just started at that, that little tiny seed. Mm. And then, you know, when you get momentum or inertia, mm. like it just kept going and going and going and going. And the next thing we know, we're like negotiating and buying this little art gallery that was already had been running since 1976. In Calgary. So this was in 2004. And it wasn't a retail gallery. It was only um, 
sales to corporations, commercial sales. Hmm. So we bought it. And I didn't know anything about art. Like almost zero. Hmm. But I was like, if I can learn how to run a freaking unit train, like from the coal mine to the port and back again, I'm pretty sure I can learn about art and how to sell art because that's something I'm actually really interested in. Hmm. The alignment with her, was it just like timing, too high performers? It was, just it was like... yeah, it was absolute perfect timing. She only stayed a year and then mm. she actually went back to law mm. because she was like, I don't think this is for me. Mm. And I'm like, this is for me. Amazing. Yeah. That, um, how did you know? How'd you know it was for you? Like that first year? I, um, I loved it mm. from the minute I started. I just was in love with the idea of having complete control and freedom over my time. Mm and what I was doing. And just like I got on the plane to Japan without knowing anything or even where I was going, I got into the art gallery without really understanding what I was going to be doing. Mm -hmm. Like it is, was 100% sales, right? Mm -hmm. And for an introvert, that's tough sometimes, mm -hmm. right? But, and I didn't know anything about art. Like there's a lot of Nothing, reasons not like to do zero. it. zero, yeah. <laughs> so what, what, what was the tipping point to say yes? To, were you guys looking at numbers specifically? Like, I think it was numbers. It was lifestyle. <laughs> it was that it was interesting. It was um, like cooler than yep. having a garbage bin company. Yep. Can't even remember what else we looked at. But we went to due diligence on a whole bunch of companies. Mm. And again, you know when you start to get moving and then the next thing you know, I'm like writing a check. Like it was just yeah. like, it was such a fast process. Mm. And the negotiation with the, the existing owner. And as soon as we started like rolling along, it's like it didn't stop itself until mm. we were like walked in the door and like, oh my God, we own this little art gallery. What'd that feel like? Do you remember that feeling? Yeah. You, like get like, the keys? I, I don't ever remember feeling scared, but I remember feeling like I got to learn, like I got to dig in now. Which as a high-performing human, yeah. it's, not, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a mountain you can't climb. No, and I like to learn. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so we hired this guy um, who had just moved here from New York. He was an art critic and an artist, and then he ended up actually um, working at Alberta University Arts. I think he's still there. Mm -hmm. I won't say his name. Um, and we hired him, and he tutored us for three hours once a week. Cool. And so he would bring in our assignments, and we'd have to do them. And it was very um, academic. Mm -hmm. And so it was sort of like getting a degree in art history, mm -hmm. like an intensive degree in art history. And because it was now my business and my livelihood, I was like, I got to learn. Like, I'm like, re and of course the internet was around and I'm like mm -hmm. looking and reading and just like, it's just like a sponge. Like mm -hmm. as much as I could possibly learn, I wanted to learn <laughs> because how could I, because if I didn't learn it, yep. I'd fail yep. and I wasn't going to fail. Mm. I'm like, I am not failing. Mm. What year was this when you bought it? 2004. Okay. What do you think the difference was between your partner leaving after a year and, and your you're like all in and still <laughs> and still doing it? I I, um, I mean I certainly can't speak for her, but I think that um, well, first of all, it was like like oil and gas was going like this yeah. right at the time, and she was in oil and gas as a lawyer, mm -hmm. and so the opportunity, the, probably the pull was so strong for yeah. her, like she left there and went to be like general counsel somewhere, right? So you know she was going to make like. 20 times <laughs> we're making at the art gallery, yeah. right? And so I think for her, she was like, 
this isn't quite like, I mean, we got to take out the garbage mm -hmm. and we got to like, we did every, we had no help. It was just the two of us. And we had a little office and we had to pick up the phone and call people and we had to hang all the art and move mm -hmm. it around. And it was a very physical job mm -hmm. and it still is a very physical yeah. job. So I think that she was kind of like, sure, this is like where I want to be when I can go yeah. back into oil and gas yeah. and, you know, mm -hmm. make a like significant difference in pay. <laughs> <laughs> and also work, right? Yeah. Like I'm not taking out the, the garbage yeah, when I'm sure. in that type of job. And what do you think it was? For, I think you touched on it, but like just this, it was your own thing? Yeah, it was just like exciting because it was new and it was different. And I then I grew to really love the art and the mm -hmm. artists. And I thought like it was like I instantly had this stable of artists who I had to get to know and I had to understand them as people and I had to understand how they painted and their content. And it was so much like human information mm -hmm. I had to gather in order to then go out and try and sell that art. Mm. So it was super fascinating. Like it was like, and coming from the railway where I was like, oh, no, no one's listening that's hired me. No. Um, you know, like. It doesn't fill you up. Yawn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it did not. I was like a flower wilting, yeah. like a wilted flower. Mm -hmm. And then here I was like, I was getting sun and water and light and I felt like I was still stressed, right? I mean, it was hard to mm -hmm. make no mistake, but it filled my soul, like the Barney Bentle thing. Like I'm like, oh, this is for the soul mm -hmm. and art is for the soul. I agree. So then I became passionate very quickly about what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And as we know, like when you like what you're doing, you work harder, you learn faster. Mm -hmm. It's such a cliche, obviously. Yeah, it is a cliche and it's like tired, a tired cliche, but in my case, it actually worked. Yeah. Do you, um, the idea of like taking that chance to buy a gallery when it like doesn't make sense. Yeah. You know, like made no sense on any level. Yeah. There's nothing in your past that yeah. speaks to this Like direction. one art history class at UVic. So what is it? What do you think of that? What do you think? Like you said, it's like going to Japan. I know. There's like these little, I know. Like, I, think I, I think my greatest strength is I don't know my weaknesses. Mm. I think that's my best strength. It's mm. like I have this ability to take risk without really... I mean, I always take calculated risk. Yeah. I don't take stupid, crazy risk, mm -hmm. but I take calculated risk. So I think what I, at the time I calculated, like if it failed, mm -hmm. which failure wasn't, I remember saying out loud, like, I'm not going to fail. Like, I remember someone saying to me, well, what if it doesn't work? Like, oh, it is going to work. <laughs> like, no this is not here. an option yeah, here. Yeah. Like, I will make it work. Yeah. Um, so I think when I looked at the risk and I calculated it, I think I thought at the time that it wasn't so great that I was worried about mm. the downside. Gotcha. And what about, um, I'm guessing you have a serious work ethic? Yeah. So that's also in there yeah, too, right? Yeah. Understanding the risk, but then understanding, you know, the idea of failure is not. Wasn't an option. Table. Yeah. So it's just work. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And I did work hard. In, and I, I mean, I still work relatively hard. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't go away. No, it doesn't go away. Mm -hmm. So, and I was excited about it. Mm. Um, so what's the transition? How long that lasts and where does it kind of, where does it take so you? So that, so that was 2004. So then, um, in 2009 or in, in, so my lease was coming up at the, in 2009. Where so, was this gallery? Um, this one was on 16th Ave, um, across from that, um, Tompkins Park okay. on the second floor. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't a retail gallery. I was just a commercial gallery. 
And in my mind, I would go to these corporations and I would put together these art proposals, but nobody knew who Gibson Fine Art was because there wasn't a like a retail presence. There wasn't a brand to speak yeah. of. And so in my head, I was like, I need to create a brand. I need to create a brand so that when I go in and I talk to law firms, accounting firms, oil and gas companies, people are like, oh, I know that. Mm. Or I can go on your website or I can go on your, it's no social media then. Yep. But I was, I was aware that I had to do more to build this brand to help me in the commercial sales. So then I decided to move to 11th Avenue, which at the time there was, I think, 10 art galleries. So it was like gallery row. Mm. And I took over the space from Kensington Fine Art. They were shutting down. And so I gutted the whole place and I built it all out and I made, it wasn't a huge space, it was only 2,000 square feet, mm -hmm. but I made it kind of lofty. Like I put in this brick and a little kitchen and wood floors and I made it into a retail gallery. Hmm. And so that was kind of the start of the retail gallery. And I knew that I didn't want to do that until my kids were in school because then it was, because it was going to be more yeah. committed hours. So that, and then I got this other stream of business, which was the retail side. So I had the commercial side, and now I had the retail side of business, mm -hmm. which to me just sort of made more sense. And when you had the retail side, did you feel like that you actually had a brand? Like there's something that people could recognize? Well, and yeah, and I had to build that. Like I, um, and then I'm do? like learning marketing. And mm -hmm. even though I have an MBA, it was mm -hmm. like, I don't remember anything from marketing class. And it was like a lot of time before that. What was your move back then to build your brand? Um... Oh gosh! Did you and were you using that that word back then? Like yeah, hundred percent. Like I was using was brand, and and when I when I thought of the brand, like when you think of brand essence, right? Like that's the absolute like, what does this brand mean? Mm -hmm. I wanted Gibson to find art to be a place that you could come in and you could feel comfortable. I didn't want it, and I purposely didn't build the gallery with a whole bunch of big white walls. Yep like voluminous. Mm -hmm. I wanted it to be more intimate and comfortable so that it was a space that anybody could walk into and ask questions and we would always greet you. We would always, you know, ask you how you are. We would always say, we're here to answer any questions you yeah. want. So I wanted it to be um, comfortable and familiar. And so this stat I found out is that only 2% of the population will go into an art gallery in the city in which they live. So I was like, how do I get more than 2% of the people mm. into my gallery? So I did all sorts of crazy shit. Mm. Like I had pop-up galleries all over the city. So my idea was to pop up these galleries to make you aware of Gibson Fine Art yeah. in, a, in a place that was not a gallery mm. so that then you might want to come over to the gallery and visit sometime. Mm. I did like Art Collecting 101. Like I did all, you name it, I have done it. Mm. So... All rooted in community. Yeah. You're putting yourself in different communities. 100%. And just putting yourself out yeah. there over and over. Over and over again. And over. And then at that point, I kind of started all my board work. So I was on the board for six years of Calgary Arts Development. Hmm. And then I was on the board of um, Art à la Carte, which is an organization that put art into um, acute care patient, cancer patient rooms. Ah, hmm. oh, God, I don't even remember. And then I was on the on the art committee at the Ranchman's Club. And then, then, then I sat on AU Arts for six years. Mm. As, and I was the outgoing, the outgoing vice chair. So I just mm. came off that board. So I kind of put together this plan, like my not-for-profit work, which I really strongly believe as a business leader or a business person, you should be committing a portion of your time to community development or community building. Mm. Very, I believe very strongly in that. 
And then I had all of these other activities outside the physical gallery to create awareness of the gallery itself. And then I was a big believer in digital marketing. Mm. So I had a website like, Early. I was like one of the first people to ever have a website. Mm. First galleries, for sure. So that, like that And whole... then a blog. And I had like, you know, like every little, like you did it. everything that you could do, yep. I was like, where, what can I do? Like where, and I was, I always scan my competitive environment. Like mm. I'm always looking, not even within Calgary, but yep. like the whole world. Like what is, what are other people doing? Mm. Just to take. Yeah. Take note and then. Take note and then try it out. Right. Like I've had a bazillion failures, like a bazillion. But I just like, all right, that didn't work. Try again. This is like a 101 and how to like start something. <laughs> I know. Because it's like. Like <clears throat> so many failures. <clears throat> Lots. And when you say failures, do you mean. Um, well, things that just totally flopped. There's initiatives that you thought yeah, were going like, to like Yeah, like I did a pop-up thing in Suncor Energy Center and I had a space and I got all set up. It was a total flop. And then I would, you know, I just did, I try out, I did try, I did like, I was at Pinebrook Golf Course. Like I just did all these things mm. and I was trying to put art everywhere with mm. my little tags yep. with Gibson Fine Art where people would see the art, mm. like art to the people. Yep. I did billboards. Like I got billboards all over the oh, city for did, a while. Whoa. I know, right? Like did I'm you just like. bus benches? I didn't do bus benches. Good, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> but I did do billboards and that was mm. a giant waste of money. That was a flop too. Um, Why well, I love this like this conversation is just like the approach of building a brand yeah. gets lost yeah. on so many people. Yeah. They feel like it's just this like lever that you like pick your font, your color and yeah. your logo and you have yeah. a brand. But the, the way you're approaching yeah. this of your Like I think things, of the core, like yeah. what's the essence? Like, just like, you know, we, we talk about our authentic self mm -hmm. overused, but it, people do talk about it. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what's the authentic nature of my mm -hmm. art gallery? Like who, who are we? Mm -hmm. Who do we want to be? And then it kind of all comes out from there. Yeah, but it's like a shit ton of work. Yeah, yeah. Like these pop-up events. Yeah, everywhere. it was so much work, yeah. Because like, you do your thing all day. I know. And then usually it's like evenings or weekends. I and know, it's stupid. Yeah, for, but for, it was, but I think in the end, you know, I mean, some of my biggest corporate clients I met because I was in the lobby of Husky Energy Building. And then I was in the lobby of, I was in Petrocan for years, like every year doing these like shows. Mm. Yeah. Okay, like, I put art in the Glencoe. Like I had my art up. Like it's just I, anywhere that I thought it would reach the people, yep. I put art up. Mm. And it's um, it's not glamorous work. No. Oh, I'm like, you should see my car. I got levels and hammers mm. and like, I'm still hauling a toolkit and, and levels around in the mm. elevators across mm. Calgary. That's where I think there's, there is a disconnect between like what makes a business, how businesses are successful yeah. to the ones that aren't. It's all that's like, yeah, this like I wash the work. floors. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I'll, I am not above anything. I will do anything mm -hmm. to make it work. So what happens? So, so, okay. So I have the gallery. So I'm there. So I'm building the brand 2009 to 2013, working really hard. And then I meet this guy, I hang out in his home and he's like, yeah, I got this furniture store. And I'm like, I'm thinking about selling it. And I was like, oh, because I always thought of like, I'm going to have this little empire. Like I didn't know what it was going to be, but it was all going to be somehow vertically related. Mm. So then I was like, well, that's interesting. So the next thing I know here again, I'm buying a furniture store. So I'm negotiating with this owner who had the furniture store. Very difficult negotiation, off of the record. <laughs> and um, we're buying a furniture store. Mm. I don't know a single thing about furniture, like not a single thing. Mm. 
nothing, but zero. But you could appreciate how important it was with art. I knew that it fit into my vertical um, strategy. Right. Sorry, not vertical. Oh, my God. Horizontal. I said vertical twice now. Horizontal strategy. Um, and I knew that when I was going into people's homes and hanging their art, they had just bought a new sofa. Or they were going to buy a new sofa. Or, like, because I like to go into people's homes and hang the art. Like, yeah. I take the art in my minivan. And I will bring it to your home and I'll hang it for you. Because I like that interaction. Again, yeah. it's that one-on-one -on -one yeah. connection that I really crave. So it was like, this is an interesting opportunity because it fits very nicely with my art. And the art, kind of art that I sell was sort of in the same vein as the type of furniture that I was looking at at this furniture store. Mm. So like every gallery has their own sort of niche where they, where they play. Yeah. And so what the type of artist and the price point of art that I had was a good fit with this style of furniture. Mm. So then I had a furniture store. Mm. How, long did, how long did it take you to, to connect those dots between like, this guy's selling and I'm like, this is a good idea. I feel like that was like February yeah. and I took the furniture store September 1st. Mm. So it's a quick, yeah, it was you realized that it was yeah. there. Mm. I think we started negotiating in the spring and the, I, I closed, it was mine September 1st. Amazing. Yeah. Hmm. So then where does it go? So then I was like, oh my God, now I got a furniture store and I know nothing about furniture. Physical location somewhere? It was 10th Ave, 1126 10th Ave. So okay. right across from Co-op. So exactly one kilometer from the gallery. So both in the Beltline. Mm. So it was pretty close. Yep. There was staff that was like a total savior because they had to teach me. Mm -hmm. Um so I go into this furniture store and it's been around since same as the gallery, 2004, oddly, but it's all paper. Like everything's on paper, like the, everything's written, like all the invoices are written. And so the first thing I did, and I did this in the gallery too. The first thing I did was I put in systems, mm. even back in 2004, there was this really archaic system. I, I think it was called gallery express. So that was the first thing I did was put in digital systems. Mm. So the inventory and the invoicing and the website was all run off the same platform. And so from 2004 to now, I've been through like four or five different systems for the gallery, but I love my systems. Like mm. that keeps me organized. Yep. So I went into the furniture store. That's the first thing I did. I put a system, like an electronic system in place to run it. So purchase orders, yep. everything that you need to do, get rid of all the paper. And then it was a bumpy road and then I'm like, I'm back in, like I'm like knee deep in mm -hmm. like, I don't, how do you make a sofa? Like what differentiates a good sofa? Like what are the different types of fabrics? Like all of these things that I just had no clue. Mm -hmm. So like, I'm like swimming, like I'm like working seven days a week, 15 hours a day. Like I can barely keep my head above water. I'm like dying. Mm -hmm. And this woman who I sold art to, she was an interior designer. She heard that I'd bought the furniture store and she said, can I take you out for lunch? And I said, sure. And so we went out for lunch and she said, would you be interested in a partner? And I'm like, oh God, over my dead body. Cause I'd already had a partner. Like I'm mm -hmm. not going through that again. Mm -hmm. And she was just very persistent. And then we went together to this furniture market in High Point, North Carolina, which happens twice a year. And I'm like, well, this will kind of be a test. Like we'll go to this furniture market and if we get along and, you know, then I'll think about it. Mm -hmm. So we got on the plane and honest to God, we didn't stop talking from the minute we got onto the plane to five days later when we're back in Calgary. So I'm like, this is, she's the one. Like, mm -hmm. it was like finding your life partner, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. is it going to fit? Mm -hmm. And so she became a partner June of 2014. Okay. Just like saved me. Hmm. And that was like the best thing that ever happened to me. 
Do you think the the idea the idea of building your own thing, and this is like, this is me talking because <laughs> it's what I'm dealing with. The idea of building your own thing has there's a lot of pressure, but there's a lot of you know it's your vision, it's your direction. Right, you can see it, right. you can feel it, you can make all the moves, the finance piece. You like you know you do all the work, you get all the rewards. Like there's all those pieces. Right. The minute you decide to partner with somebody. And you obviously you, you realize that your income gets dropped. Yeah. And, and, and. Like, yeah. there's all these other things. Do you think that there is value in a partnership? Obviously, like, there's. Yeah. Like, because you were, you were, you I were know. sure. I was 100% and then all sure. And you're yeah. not. So, yeah. what do you think that, like. So, um, for me, she was 100% value add. Mm. She wasn't value takeaway. Mm. So, I say, and I will say it out loud to anyone who will listen, her name is Suzette Taves. She is the best thing that ever happened to me. Mm. And um, we are yin and yang. Mm. We have like very complementary skills. And I think it's just a total, um, it, it's not like this often, yep. but it worked in our case mm -hmm. where I do my thing, which is more behind the scenes in the marketing. Yep. And she's front facing and she's the designer. And she knows way more about furniture than I do. Mm. So she, I could see she was only going to bring value. And we structured the shareholder agreement in a way that incented her to create value. And when right. I say value, I mean revenue. Yep. So that was another way that I did it. Like I wanted her to um, feel motivated mm. to add to this business in terms of mm. top line revenue, and which she did in spades. So I'm guessing without her... I don't know where I'd be, honest to God. It, it, does, it doesn't scale to where it is, right? <laughs> no. I like. I mean, would I if she always was like, oh, Patty, you would have figured out. You would have hired somebody, blah, 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 blah. But on, when I look back, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what I would have done. Mm. Like, I wasn't desperate, but yeah. I was going to probably be pretty desperate at some point. Mm -hmm. And would I have figured it out? Maybe. But, I, but she is 100% um, value creation mm. as a business partner. Still with you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She is now like, as soon as she wants to sell, I'm selling. Like, I'm like, I am not running this without you. Like, that's how strongly I feel about our partnership. Amazing. Yeah. Hmm. It's like one of those stories where, and I've had the other opposite story. Yeah. It's one of those stories where you're like, yeah, it just worked out. Hmm. Is it, is it rare? Like you? I, I don't, I think so. I don't talk to yeah. enough people to know. Yeah. I think it's rare, rarer than not. Hmm. Is that a word? Rare? Yeah. I have, I have no vocabulary, so <laughs> whatever you say, I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Medium rare. So I, I do. I think that. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think so. And, you know, it's it's not that we work really hard at trying to be good partners, yep. like you do in a marriage. Mm -hmm. um, it's just a, it's a question of fit. Mm -hmm. It just was the right thing at the right time. Amazing. Yeah. Yes. Game changer. Yeah. Major game changer. So what happens then? What so happens? then we run that business. We get into the pandemic, you know. Or, oh, so then the property, this is my big thing about. <laughs> so then we hit 2014, 2015, valuation of all the businesses downtown falls. Like the city's losing, I don't know, billions of dollars in tax revenue. Mm -hmm. So what do they do? They revalue all the businesses in the Beltline. All the buildings, I should mm -hmm. say, not businesses. So they revalue all the uh, buildings in the Beltline. So my little building that I was in in interior living, and I'm a, I'm a tenant, goes from a valuation of $9 million to $29 million in a year. So if you think about um, my um, commercial tax rate, mm -hmm. it was like through the roof. Mm. 
So we had like two years of major fights with the city about, so all like our revenue is going to commercial taxes for that period of time. It's awful. So we were appealing the tax and it was happening with the gallery too. It was just awful. So, you know, and all these businesses are going under because I was paying like, I don't know, $100,000 a year in commercial property taxes between the two businesses. Mm. It was nuts. So finally, that's, so that was a real challenge, right? Like that was one of our biggest challenges. Yeah. Like how do we make this work with our commercial property taxes so high? It's a very large portion of our monthly lease payment. Mm-hmm. Then the taxes go down. Then the pandemic happens. And so we were closed for 66 days. Wow. And... Um, Still had two buildings, like two buildings? Two, bu- two buildings. Yeah. I'm like freaking out because yeah. I'm like, how do I pay my rent? And... It was awful. Like that was probably the most stressful time of my whole life because I had these two huge lease payments to mm-hmm. make and no revenue coming in. And like with I'm like nobody knows what's going to happen. Yeah. I know it's stressful for everybody, but it's particularly stressful for small business owners. Mm-hmm. Sixty-six days. Sixty-six days were closed. You, what do you? The swing in those during those sixty-six days. Like, is it like? Were you able to come up with ideas? Oh yeah. So I was like. Oh my God, like um, kinetic, manic energy, right? Mm. Like I'm like awake all night. So I changed my whole gallery website. So I made it so that before you couldn't put the art in a cart and buy it online. Yeah. And so then I'm like, I need a new system. So I got a new system. So I got this system of e-commerce for the gallery. Yeah. What'd you build it with? Um, it's called Art Logic. It's a system out of the U or out oh, of the UK. Like a gallery specific. Yeah, yeah, cool. very gallery specific. Awesome. So I'm like, I'm changing my system so you can put your art in your cart and you buy it online. Like if we're all sitting at home. I want you, and so it was the first gallery in Calgary to do that. No way. Oh yeah, yeah. Like but you did, you were. Like even across Canada, if you looked at the galleries, there weren't very many where you could put it in a cart and buy it online. Hmm. And then with Interior Living, I went in and we photographed the whole store, like every single piece of furniture, cushion, mm-hmm. like during that 66 days. Mm-hmm. And we put everything online, put it in your cart and buy it. Hmm. So it was like what that forced me to do is digitize mm-hmm. or um, like introduce e-commerce in yeah. a way I hadn't before. Yeah. Which is actually really interesting. Amazing. Yeah. So I was there every day at both. Like I was, it's not like I was sitting at home making bread. Like I was at both businesses every day mm. during that 66 day period. Mm. Um, the idea of digitizing it, did it feel like a natural move like it you... felt like a desperate move mm. like i feel like i have no choice mm. i have to i have to do something to respond to this environment that we're yeah. in mm. it's interesting having these conversations with people about the pandemic so i started my business in october 19 okay of 20 2019 okay so march then yeah yeah but it's weird because like i i have a digital business right yeah so it's it was this weird thing where people I was still working with people because they, yeah. they needed to go yeah. online or they yeah. needed to 100%, like right? refine their brand yeah. online. So it was like, but when you talk to people like you that have this, like these bricks and mortars locate, like mortar locations, right. foot traffic. Like, I I don't want to say I forget about it, yeah. but I kind of do forget I how, know. how intense I and know. how traumatic it was. Yeah. Because if you have a job, I mean, you, yeah. you everybody took, had some time yeah. off, right? Yeah. But you still can do your job, right? You're still mm-hmm. employed, mm-hmm. most people anyway. And you're doing your job from home. Yep. Where I was like, if I can't sell anything mm-hmm. and I got like thirty thousand mm-hmm. dollars a month minimum in lease payments, like what am I you gonna do? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. And like what if it what if we never we don't open up until September? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So um, during that time, Suzette and I were like, we're going to buy a building. We are going to buy a building in the Beltline. And, and my dream was always to bring the businesses together. So I was lining up the leases from both mm. spaces so that they ended at the same time or mm. in and around the same time, yep. which was uh, October 2020. Both business leases were up. So we looked, we put in so many crazy offers and so many crazy buildings and so many crazy lots in the Beltline and nothing was working out. And we actually had an offer that we were going to sign off and close on the lot on 11th Avenue, 14th Street. It's just a big empty lot there. Um, I, so I'm on the hunt for buildings. So I'm yeah. like, so you're like, I'm really thinking about, and I know we exactly were going to close on that. Right and then the white building? Like it's a, right beside Sunil yeah, yeah, cameras. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we were we had a plan, we had an architect, we were going to build there. We were going at noon to sign off on the offer, what well, was actually going to be um, not even an offer, but the purchase agreement. And Suzette and I went there because we we're going to take one photo of ourselves, like jumping in the air, like here's our lot. And we get there and there's all these like kind of zombies walking around. Mm-hmm. And we're like, why is this all these zombified people walking around on this lot, like and in front of the Sunil camera building? Yep. Like, what's going on here? I'm like, oh my God, it's like a methadone clinic. Mm -hmm. So we go into the pharmacy. Yeah, it is. Crazy. And so we're like, we can't put a high-end art gallery in a furniture store right here. Like nobody told us, like the realtor, nobody ever said there was a methadone, I don't know if that's the right word, but there's some kind of clinic next door. So we didn't sign. So we just let it all fall apart. Mm. Thank God. Mm -hmm. Um, So nothing was working out. And then finally we found this warehouse in uh, Manchester Business Park. And we're like, well, it's kind of a weird area, but there's still lots of kind of um, building related places down there, like Robson Lighting and Julian Tile and Empire Kitchen. So we're like, well, what if we could make that work? So we're like, okay. So this was like July of 2020. And so everything was, oh shit, sorry. You're good. Swear. No, you're good. Everything was like this, right? Like all the lease rates were in the dump, building prices were down, which is why we wanted to buy. So we negotiated this warehouse for a 10-year lease. We would do all the leasehold improvements, um, but we'd have really low lease rates. And we're like, oh my God, finally. Mm-hmm. So we closed the deal. We got in there September 6th. I won't even talk about this part, what how we did it. Mm-hmm. But we moved in there, both businesses, December 1st. So we complete, like there was nothing in there but the cinder block walls and the concrete floor. We had to mm-hmm. do all the HVAC all the plumbing, all the electrical, the entire build out. So Suzette designed it all because she's a space planner. And then we just worked our asses off mm. to get it done. Mm. And because it was sort of this little bit of the lull, a lull, yep. we were able to get trades. Because they were scra- they were making up for the time they couldn't work. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So we like hired everybody September mm-hmm. and paid them like right away. We yep. said, we'll pay it. Like, we don't even care. Like this has to get done because our leases were up. And we had to move out of our space mm. and into this new space by December 1st. Mm. So it was crazy. I won't say anything about building permits. <laughs> <laughs> all, that, all the um, the business survived obviously during the pandemic. Yes. After the six, six days and yeah. it's just managing the up and down. And so we had our best years through that pandemic time. Because, Once we're back open again. Because you could get foot traffic and digital? Because everybody's sitting at home. Yeah. And they're like, oh my God, I have never noticed how ugly my sofa is. Right. Right? Like I hate my dining room table. Right. Because I've never had the time to sit here and look at it. Mm. Or I now have like 
X number of dollars of disposable income because I'm not going to Europe for the summer. Mm. So I'm going to buy a piece of art. Mm. I'm going to be su- buy something that has some longevity. Yeah. So that was our busiest year mm. on both businesses. Mm. Um, so the building you're in right now, is that the one that you... Yeah. That's yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah, that's mm. it. So then the dream was to put both businesses in the same space, yep. which we did. What does that actually feel like? It feels so good. And how long have you been thinking about that? I've like, been thinking about that since 2013. Since you bought the furniture? Yeah. Yeah. You knew right away that I knew ha- that I wanted them to be in the same space. Yeah. Yes. So seven years. Yes. It, because I was on it and I knew how the leases. So I worked the leases mm-hmm. to line up at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it took that long for them to line up. Did you, did you think it would take that long to, to get a building and get everything under one roof? No. So what does that feel like? Is it, that, was, it was... Um, do you feel like you're missing out? Do you feel like you're... Um, like what, yeah, what is it? Like when they were in different spaces? Yeah, and you knew you knew what the vision was. Yeah. But you knew that know, like, there wasn't I an know. opportunity. And that... it was such a long process. Like to try to buy a building is such a long I had no idea how much how hard that is. Yeah. And that was another massive learning curve. Like I got we gotta learn how to negotiate these contracts and mm-hmm. you know, how do you look at a building and determine if it's economically feasible? Like yep. we're building out all these spreadsheets. Mm-hmm. Um but I couldn't have moved any earlier because my interior living lease went to 20, like when I bought the business, yep. it, it was on a 10 year lease and it was three years in. Right. So I couldn't have you moved out till 2020. So I knew I had to be there till then. I couldn't break the lease mm. and could have, but it would cost me a lot of money. Yep. Um, and so I just kept extending the gallery lease to line mm. up. So how have you been looking at growing all this? Like the gallery, the gallery world, like what's been the, what's the push? Like, how do you, so that's a really good question. You, you and I talked quickly off was like community. Mm-hmm. You know, Barney Bentall is like yeah. this like community driver. Right. Goes back to the same idea of like pop-up events, all these things you've done before. Right. You know, is it? You know what I think where I think the growth is? It's like the world. Like the world is my marketplace. Mm. Because art you can ship anywhere and all over the world. And so for me, I have to maintain a quality of artists or a range of artists that people are interested in. But now I'm looking not just within Calgary, and I certainly do still believe in activation of my space, which I have been trying to do the last two years. But now I'm looking at like, how do I sell art into the US? Because it's so easy. And then beyond that, how do I sell art into other markets? Because I can send you a video of the art, I've got all these little, so now I have an augmented reality tool on my website. Um, so you can actually scan in your wall and then the art gets put onto your wall. Mm. I can send you um, like high-res files of close-ups of the art. Like I can FaceTime, yep. which I do quite frequently, FaceTime people who want to see the art who mm. aren't in Calgary. Mm. So that's kind of my next big thing. Like the Calgary market is only so big. The yep. Calgary art market is only so big. Mm-hmm. And I do want to attract younger buyers um, so I'm working on that. That's always been a strategy is to you. It's like a cycle, right? Yep. Cause the younger buyer just keeps cycling, mm-hmm. but I'm looking at a much bigger marketplace. Mm. Leveraging technology. Yeah. Like how do I get into that marketplace? Right. Like mm. I get ads all the time on my Instagram from galleries in London, mm. galleries in California. Mm. And if there's something that catches your eye, yeah. you know, you just put it in your cart and then I ship it to you. Mm-hmm. And art moves duty free pretty much across the whole world. Hmm. Did you... Were you always like ahead on on tech? Yeah, like that's kind of my thing. Always. Yeah, definitely. Hmm. Naturally, you think, or just um, like I think, because I thought I had to be. 
Mm. Like that was a competitive advantage. Mm. Tech and systems, like how to run the two businesses yeah. as digitally as possible. Like I hate paper. Yeah. As digitally as possible. Mm. So that there's nothing gets lost, especially on the furniture side, because you know, you, somebody orders, you have to purchase it. Like, like there's so much detail there yeah. in numbers and codes that it should all be digital. Mm. I find it's like, the leveraging tech to like push everything forward it's not it's not a must but it seems like you have to adapt yeah or you get kind of left behind yeah the furniture is really hard when you're a boutique furniture store because i can't really have you buy your furniture online yeah because there's like three thousand iterations off one sofa right so i decided a while ago that I am not going to try and make my website shoppable mm -hmm. except for the clearance product, which is mm. on the floor. Mm. So our sweet spot at Interior Living is like customer service, the design of your space. So the right. design of your living room, the touch and feel of the fabric, you sitting in the chair. It's like we want people to come in and we want them to have an experience with us where we help them put together a space. Mm. So mm. it's very tactile. It's very visual. Makes so much, it like makes so much sense, obviously. So you, I, I gave up on the dream of having an e-commerce site for interior yeah. living. It just not doesn't work. work. It's not the business model. Have you, when you got to your, when you got into your forties and you could kind of look back and like, think about all the different things you've done, experiences you've had and why they all make sense and they go together. Yeah. Where you are right now, could you have ever pictured this? Never. Like, I don't even, I don't, I think I, yeah, I wanted to be a lawyer. And then I wanted to work in a big corporation. So no, I never, like if you would have asked me like fresh out of university at 22, mm -hmm. what I thought I'd be doing at 54. No, I never, cause I didn't even know that was a possibility. Mm -hmm. I think now everybody, like the world is everybody's possibility, right? We all yeah. see the world all day long. Mm -hmm. But when I grew up, we didn't see the world like that. We couldn't yeah. see it. Yeah, there was no, there was no reference like you, you literally, there was only a few jobs. Yeah. Like, and you had like catalogs. Like yeah. how did I even know what was possible to take in university, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. I'm like dialing in my course selections, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're just getting whatever you can on the dial-in. Yeah. Do you think the idea of like being an entrepreneur and like having that courage or the vision or whatever it is to do it, do you think everybody has that? No. I think we're all wired differently. Mm -hmm. 100%. Mm -hmm. It's a level of risk you have to be comfortable with. Yeah. I mean... I never considered myself a risk taker ever. Like if you would ask me like, I don't know, up until 35, 40, I, but, but I can, when I look back, I can see that I'm comfortable with calculated risk. I'm not mm. comfortable with reckless risk, yep. but calculated risk I'm comfortable with. Mm. And make, you have to have a stomach. Like, I don't know, am I gonna sell art next month? Am I gonna yeah. sell any, like, what if I don't sell anything? Mm -hmm. Like I've got, I got no money, right? Mm -hmm. And I got all these bills to pay. Mm -hmm. So you have to be comfortable with that up and down. Yeah. Because every month you start fresh again. Mm -hmm. Like there's no contracts. There's no consistent mm -hmm. sales. It's a lot of one-off. Yeah. We get repeat clients, which yeah. is our best clients, but nobody's coming in every month and buying a piece of art. Mm -hmm. So then what do, what do you think it is? Do you think it's like trusting that you've built a brand or people you've built um, a, an identity in the art space that people just like, you're being talked about in different circles and you're yeah. just waiting for that door to open? I think so. And I think it's um, like blind confidence, blind trust. Yeah. Or 
it's unsettling. Just, it's faith too, right? Like yeah. I gotta, I gotta believe, mm-hmm. like, like mm-hmm. Ted Lasso. Yeah. Um, so I think you have to believe. You have yeah. to always be hopeful. Because if you're not hopeful, you can, you're just going to spiral. And I've had moments in my life where mm. I'm like, oh, my God, like, what if, like, during the pandemic, mm. like, what if, you know, nothing happens? Yeah. I'm going to go bankrupt. Yeah. And I guess I always say the worst case scenario is I go bankrupt and I go live with my parents and Vernon in their basement. That's my worst case scenario, right? Yeah. Like, and I would day. survive. Yeah. I yeah. know I could get another job. Like mm-hmm. I know I could go find a job if I had to shut both businesses down. Yeah. That happens. Well, we can do. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I find that your industry specifically, it's like it's organic growth. Yeah. But there's a lot of pieces behind the scenes that kind of like increase your chance of organic growth. Yeah, and you know, I got to be careful with what artists I bring in yeah. and what artists I move out, and I got to be careful about the furniture that I bring in. And- yeah. Like I don't do it recklessly, but mm-hmm. I do, I am, I am analytical and I think that helps. Mm-hmm. And I think what helps me is that, you know, the, probably one of the better decisions I ever made was to go to business school as a non-business person, because mm-hmm. it gave me the rigor to look at decisions in a way that maybe lots of entrepreneurs that didn't go to business school look at those decisions. Yep. I mean, there's certainly tons of millions of entrepreneurs who never even went to school mm-hmm. and they like, you yep. know. Um, tell you they are. They're fine. But we all know, right? <laughs> so, but for me, it gave me the rigor to look at a problem and say, okay, wait, I got, like anytime someone starts giving me numbers and costs, I'm like, I got to put this in a spreadsheet. Yeah. I got to start like mapping this out. Mm. Like I need to see what this looks like in a visual form in a spreadsheet. It's yeah. mm. a good skill to have. Yeah. Like I'm not just throwing numbers on the back of a napkin. I'm like analyzing yeah. every, like when we got our new space, I'm yeah. like analyzing every year mm-hmm. and every number mm-hmm. and, you know, how much can we pay for our leasehold improvements versus the rent? And mm-hmm. like, what's the tolerance there? Mm-hmm. It's very, uh, so, it's, it's very clinical. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it's, <that's> not, <laughs> Which is weird because I'm in like the creative industries. But it's like the perfect, yeah, yeah. it's a great mix. Uh, this has been really cool. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. This is fun. Um, thanks to, for uh, to Laval and Jennifer. Yeah, making yeah. this ha- happen. So by I'm just going to tell you yeah, the tell story. story because yeah, so sure. I had a big art show the night before with Sheila Kernan. So I didn't leave the gallery until like I'm going to say 1:30. I was freaking exhausted. So I'm laying in my bed, and Janet. This is like 2:30 in the on Saturday afternoon, and she texts me and she's like, "Hey, Patty, I got a last minute opening for dinner. Do you want to come over? Yawn's cooking." And I'm like, oh, God, I don't want to come over because I'm so tired. Like, I just want to lay in my bed. And then I actually texted my son. And I'm like, I just got invited for dinner. But there's like a professional chef there. He's like, go. I'm like, you're right. I got to eat. It's <laughs> so like had a shower. I got in my car. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm going to drive so that I don't drink. And then I'm like, I know I'm not going to be tired the next day. Yep. So it was like this close to actually saying, no, I'm too mm-hmm. tired. And then Which here is, we are. Yeah. yeah. And I, and. That speaks to that, like the organic growth idea and community. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. those two, you kind of got to put yourself, you got to show up in different sh- situations and it's just the community that you're involved with, yeah. right? That just keeps opening doors and. Yeah. And if I had to say one thing for entrepreneurs or people in business, it's like, just, you've got to get, you've got to find a way to give back to, or contribute to your community. It's so important. Mm. Just makes for a better city for all us to live yep. in. I agree. Um, I end the show with one question. Yes. When I say Calgary, where does your head go? Um, it goes to like innovation. Like when you say Calgary to me, I think of a city that innovates, Mm. a city with a heartbeat. Like, I think we're just, we always strive to be more Calgary. Mm -hmm. 
I think we're full of people who are always looking for th ways to do things differently and execute on that. Mm. Um, your, your insight into the city is very unique. Like that heartbeat idea of, with the creatives. Yeah. I feel like yeah. that's a very um, like soulful connection to the city. Well, that's like the fabric of our yeah. community, right? Yeah. And the arts community in Calgary is like alive and well and it's beating. Mm. And I, I say that as someone who was part of AU Arts for a long time. Mm. And all of that that comes down in like from the hill yeah. comes down into our community mm. and all the other forms of art. Mm. Amazing. Um, it's been really cool. Yeah, thank I've, you. I've heard that I've heard the name Gibson Fine Art Fine Arts for a long time. Yeah. I don't buy art, I'm not like but I just I've heard about it for so long. So when when you sat across from me at that dinner and yeah. the Val said like I was like, Oh fuck, this is <laughs> <laughs> this is cool. Yeah. So anyways, um thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for doing this. It was this. a total pleasure. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Thanks.